Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Allie and Dr. James Simmons. And we um, are continuing a conversation that we kind of touched on yesterday that we thought was worth a lot more attention. And as we continue a lot of these conversations throughout the week, we thought we would bring on um, our good friend Travel Anderson, who you've heard grace the airwaves of Channel Q in the past. Welcome back, Travel. We're so happy to have you, and I love to see your beautiful face. Thanks for having me again. Glad you both are doing as well as possible in this moment. Right. Yeah. And, and and you are, we have to ask, I mean, considering, right. It feels like sort of like a, such a weak question, but mm-hmm. you, you are okay. You are, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine. And I think, you know, to the, the topic that, you know, you all said that you wanted to discuss today, like, you know, one of the things I, I tweeted out yesterday um, or day before yesterday was that, you know, it's not lost on me that a lot of these demonstrations that are happening um, in the streets by the Black Lives Matter folks are also happening as pride is being ushered in because both communities, both the Black community and the LGBTQ plus community haven't really done what needs to be done in terms of affirming the humanity of Black LGBTQ folks and other LGBTQ folks of color. Um, and so that's been something that I've been like, you know, wrestling with over the last few days in particular. I think that there's something interesting there about, you know, if, if we... Uh, I guess I kind of want to go talk about Ayanna Dior for a second, if we have a chance to sort of bring that up, because what something that has been really struck me, and for those of you listening who, who don't know, Ayanna Dior is a, is a trans woman who was beat, and the, the video of that was released, and it happened on Monday, and it was at the hands of Black men, primarily. And I, I think there's something interesting about how what I found is that there were so many people, at least online, that are a part of the LGBTQ community who I felt like were quick to sort of say, we need to do better in the black community for our trans brothers and sisters, which is true. But those same LGBTQ people were not necessarily standing up as much for the brutality against black men by police. Mm-hmm. And it, there's so much intersectionality there. There's so, it is very, very complicated. And I kind of just, I wanted your, your thoughts on that in light of the most recent attack that we know of on a black trans woman. Yeah, I mean, well, the way I think of it is I think the ways in which we see white LGBTQ people, particularly white gay men, how they have responded to or attempted to respond to this moment and ongoing moments, right? And just kind of the general existence of folks of color, Black people in particular within the LGBTQ community, I often say that it's a betrayal of the history of Pride, right? Pride was a protest. Pride was an uprising. It was a riot. Whichever word you want to use, it was a revolution that took place. Many of us think of it as starting with Stonewall, right? But there were a number of demonstrations here in Los Angeles at the Black Cat Tavern. There was a a demonstration at Compton's Cafeteria in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco that happened, you know, two years prior than Stonewall. But based on how kind of modern conceptions of pride have, I would say, sanitized the history and have erased and whitewashed some of the history, a lot of folks don't know that It was a lot of folks, in large part by Black and Brown, queer and trans folks, right, that were shaking the table that eventually allowed you to marry your partner, that eventually allowed you to, you know, be half naked on a pride float, you know, going down Santa Monica (laughs) Boulevard, right? (laughs) And so when it comes to this particular moment, I'm saying to myself, I actually need to see white LGBTQ people 
out in the streets. I need to see white LGBTQ people talking about Black Lives Matter as well, because the histories are so much interconnected. Well, I think that you make a great point, Travel, about how important it is, especially for white LGBT people to be speaking out and to be out in the streets right now, because I think there's this level of what, what James very eloquently pointed out yesterday. I think sometimes or a lot of times there's this element of, oh, well, I'm I'm LGBTQ, so I have experienced my share of homophobia and unfair bias and, mm-hmm. and I've experienced this oppression, so I know what it's like, but... To also have that experience, but also to know that that's that being white has that ultimate privilege. Right. Still. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I think for all of us, we have to understand that every single one of us, me included, has a level of privilege. Right. I am able bodied. I have a master's degree. I am gainfully employed. I have a roof over my head. So even I, as somebody who's black and queer and gender nonconforming, has some privilege over other members in communities that I belong to and communities that I don't belong to. And what we find more often than not, unfortunately, is that in particular white gay men, um, because they might have faced some sort of homophobia in their life, they feel as if they get a pass to uh, ignore some of the issues black and brown folks might be facing. And they don't realize how they can sometimes kind of carry out that same behavior on us. And, and it manifests itself, right, in the ways that we we move on these gay dating apps, right? And the profiles that read, you know, no fats, no fems, no blacks, no Asians, right? Or mm-hmm. the folks who just say, oh, that's just my preference, not realizing that your preference <laughs> is attached to these broader ideas and conceptions about you feeling like me as a black person in a black body is not worth you know, your energy, your desire, your love and affection. It's all so much interconnected, but sometimes, in particular, white LGBTQ people aren't able to to kind of see the connection. It, and it, it is such an interesting connection, too, because, you know, I, I often think about how our community uh, is so resilient and we are so used to facing, we are used to facing oppression at the hands of police, Mm -hmm. not to the same level as black men do and black people in in particular, but particularly black men. But, but our community is used to this. We're also used to this oppression. And so, you know, they're one of the, and I forget who said this, it might've been Nelson Mandela. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember this, but no one oppresses the oppressed like the oppressed. And I I think it's just, it's always so interesting that we have this group of individuals who have fought so hard. And yet the second we're good, you know, this happened a lot with marriage equality. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. But the the Mm -hmm. fight's not over because our trans brothers and sisters are dying out there, particularly of color. And well, no, I got my marriage. I got my, my neighborhood. I got my job. No one's going to kick me out of my house. So I'm good. I don't have to continue to protest. So we have a a lot. I I definitely want to get into this thing that you brought up, Travel, about preference. Yeah. Um, And that's just my preference. That's a really interesting Mm -hmm. thing. But we have to take a quick break. This is Drop the Subject. We will be right back in just a moment with Travel Anderson. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Welcome back to Drop the Subject. We are continuing our conversation right now with Travel Anderson of Fanti Podcast, of course. Yeah. And you've seen Travel on Out Magazine, LA Times, all over the place. And we started in the last break a really interesting conversation around, you know, this is the concept that I feel like I've lived with for such a long time as a black gay man. 
Well, I'm just not into black guys, but it's first of all, like I'm a thing you need to get into, like I am a human being, but then also like, I'm just not into black guys. And also um, I just, it's just my preference. I'm not racist. It's just my <laughs> preference. And, and how do we start now that we are all having real talk right now, Travel, with the state of the world, like how do we start dismantling those, those types of conversations with our particularly white gay men, but everyone who's white in the LGBTQ plus community? I feel like the the first thing that comes to my mind is if you're not racist or if you aren't carrying out racist or problematic beliefs, there's no need to give a disclaimer that you're not racist. Right. Right. In the the desire, right. In the desire to say you are not racist, you are showing me some problematic behavior. And when it comes to this conversation about preference and our desires, you know, I just think it's important to for everyone to remember that, like, uh, I think it's Audre Lorde said that the personal is political. And so even in the decisions that you're making in terms of who you're having sex with, who you believe you find yourself to be attracted to, those things are caught up in these other conceptions you have in your mind about a particular type of person's worth, right? Um, um, there's a, uh, a Black trans woman, um, good friend of mine, Fatima Jamal, who's working on a documentary called No Fats, No Fems that breaks Mm -hmm. down this conversation in particular from her perspective as a Black trans woman. And one of the things that she talks about a lot is about the politics of desirability, right? And about how Mm -hmm. the ways in which we talk about and think about the people that we are attracted to are actually caught up in white supremacy often. It's often caught up in ableism. It's often caught up in, you know, all of these isms and obias that, you know, if we're not intentionally attacking them and interrogating them will continue to persist. Even I think just yesterday, Grinder, you know, uh, in their to show solidarity right. with the they movement. They got rid of the filter. They got rid of the the race and ethnicity filter on their app. And it's like, well, girl, you could have did that a long time ago. <laughs> Hello. Right? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and people have been people have been calling that for such a long time anyway, right? They were like, why is this even there? And why is it a premium feature, by the way? So if you pay me more money, I get to be more racist, essentially. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I wonder, you know, in, in both of your experience being Black in the LGBTQ community, have you experienced directly... The oh, I've never had I've never hooked up with a black uh, with a black person before as if it's a box to check. Yes, I feel like, you know, so often (laughs) our bodies are treated as if they're supposed to be won or supposed to be conquered. And so the ways, especially for for us as folks who are, you know, assigned male at birth, right? It's this concept and this idea of like the Mandingo, right? That white people of all sexual orientations often, you know, buy into consciously or unconsciously. And so the idea that like, you know, just because you, people feeling as if they are uh, that they're absolved of any kind of complicit complicity because they you know haven't had sex with a black person or a brown person um, I think it's it's we use the word problematic all the time but mm-hmm. it's something that mm-hmm. like deserves intentional interrogation on behalf of individuals like that's the type of work that I think pushes us to a more inclusive 
you know, broader society. It's when you as an individual can look at the ways in which you are carrying out white supremacy, that you are carrying out patriarchy, that you are carrying out homophobia and transphobia um, that you may not, you know, have noticed prior to. I think even in dealing with those microaggressions that happen as well, Travel, this is something that I, I experience a lot in that, you know, so I, I have a friend who is white, who has dated black men most of his life. And it, it just how, how it is, he has gotten to a place where he doesn't do this. And I'm very proud of him for this. But the second a black man walks into the room, everyone, white people say, oh, you should hook him up with your friend X, Y, and Z. So like just categorically, because this man is black means that he is, is going to be attracted to my friend who is white or that my friend who is white is going to be Should attracted to him. him. Right. To mm-hmm. date him just because he's black. And this whole concept of like, and this drives me crazy, but these microaggressions are so hard to explain sometimes about like, oh, look at that chocolate over there. Like, mm-hmm. I think I'm in the mood for a piece of chocolate and all those different things. And this dehumanization that happens but it's the same white gay men who are also like, I'm not prejudiced mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not racist, but then also like, oh, maybe I need to get me, you know, I need something big and thick. So I better find a black man tonight. <laughs> like well, these things happen. And just wanted to add that that element of it's a certain type of per- like there's a body type that comes with that of like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, it's that oh, I want a piece of chocolate that looks like Idris Elba. And if it's mm-hmm. not that, then it's somehow less desirable. Well, it's connected right to these racist tropes that we've right. all seen, like, you know, proliferated through media of the black buck of the, you know, of the 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 super athletic, the super fit black man who can come mm-hmm. and, you know, save you and take care of you. Not realizing that even those tropes, right, dehumanize us, even those tropes uh, break us down into only being about our body parts and our, our strengths, our abilities, and, you know, with no regard to our minds and our hearts and our feelings, right? Ooh, it's something else. That one got me a little bit because I'm realizing how much this has happened throughout the course of my life that, you know, I, I quite literally have had individuals who, because, you know, I'm so light-skinned, a lot of people will will say, Oh, oh, you're black. Oh, I, th- I knew you were brown. I thought you were Latino. I thought you were Puerto Rican or something, but you're black. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are you? Right, and then you get all fetishized. of a sudden they're interested in me because I get fetishized. They're assuming I have some ginormous penis and that, you know, I'm going to be able to lay it down like a black man. All this stuff, this is stuff people, white people say to me, even now mm-hmm. in 2020, when they find out that I'm black. Uh, unfortunately, Travel, we have to go. <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> uh, but I feel like we could sit and have this conversation all day long. Um, Travel, before we go, please tell the people where they can find your work. What are you doing? Yes. So as you mentioned, I'm co-host of the podcast Fantai. Wherever Slayworthy Slayworthy Audio can be found is where you can find that. And I'm on the social medias at Travel Anderson. Yes, and Travel does Fanti with uh, with Jarrett Hill, who's also been a lovely voice on the station in the past. And so we we um, highly encourage you to download, subscribe, and listen to these great conversations. And Travel, thank you for lending us your time. Thank you so much for having me.